Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and Game Sense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. Hey everyone, it's Ted from Consumer Cellular, the guy in the orange sweater, and this is your wake-up call. If you're paying too much for wireless service, you don't have to keep having that nightmare. Consumer Cellular has the same fast, reliable coverage as the leading carriers for up to half the cost. So why keep spending more than you have to? Seriously, wake up! And call 1-888-FREEDOM or visit ConsumerCellular.com. Savings based on cost of Consumer Cellular single line 1, 5, and 10 gig data plans with unlimited talk and text compared to lowest cost single line postpaid unlimited talk text and data plans offered by T-Mobile and Verizon January 2024. Hey, it's Will Friedle. And Sabrina Bryan. And we're the hosts of the new podcast, Magical Rewind. You may know us from some of your favorite childhood TV movies like My Date with the President's Daughter. And the Cheetah Girls movies. Together we're sitting down to watch all the movies you grew up with and chat with some of your favorite stars and crew that made these iconic movies happen so kick back grab your popcorn and join us listen to magical rewind on the iHeartRadio app apple podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts brought to you by state farm like a good neighbor state farm is there hey it's danielle will and writer from pod meets world thanks to our friends at hyundai we were able to record a very special episode for you guys at the one and only wait for it boy meets world house take a listen are there any moments or spots on any of the sets we worked on over the seven years that you guys felt more at home that were like your little spots on the set you like to hang out? I'm afraid it was the sink. Oh, really? Yes. Oh, yeah. You had to act <laughs> by the sink a lot. lot. Yeah. I was behind the counter. Yeah. Right. Doing business constantly. Uh-huh. Mom stuff. Uh-huh. <laughs> Disciplining you Amazing. in some way. This has been brought to you by the fully electric Hyundai Ionic 5. New episode out now. You can listen wherever you get your podcasts. Your holster is way more important than you think it is. It's just way more important than you think it is. What, look, and I get that. The holster's not the sexy part of carrying firearms, right? You want to talk about your weapon and your ammunition. You, you want to talk about your safety training. You want to talk about how you did at the range. Oh, look at my groups. I was doing these failure drills today. And all that stuff's really important. I mean, really, really important. I'm not discounting that. But I've known so many people who do all those things. They take all the necessary steps, and then they carry with a holster they bought from a big box hunting store that was made a 1,000 at a time. Please, don't put your life in one of those holsters. You need to trust Northwest Retention Systems because it's all custom-made gear. It's the only thing I carry around. nwretention.com. That's nwretention.com. Use the promo code JESSE. Get you 10% off. This is The Jesse Kelly Show. 
let me ask you a question. A dark one. I know you're going to find that shocking, but it's a dark one. Hear me out. Going somewhere with it. If I were to hand you a rifle, one you could shoot. So if you don't know how to shoot, just assume I magically gave you those powers. And I pointed out a bad guy to you. 200 yards away, two football fields. And I told you to kill him. Do you think you could do it? Now, this is not murder. Whatever the circumstance is, it's completely justified. Picture the worst scum in the world. This, it's a pedophile. 200 yards away, completely legal. You're in no trouble. Do you think you could do it? Could you make yourself look down those sights and pull the trigger? Producer Chris says yes. I'm sure many of you say yes. I'm sure many of you say no. But how many? Half my audience, I'd say, said yes. Now, as soon as I pointed out it was a pedophile, that number probably went up a little bit. Let's guess. Let's guess 70%. No legal ramifications. Some guy who hurts kids, boom, gone. Now, let me ask you this. If I were to hand you a pistol, not a rifle, a pistol, and I were to lock you in an elevator with that man, he can't hurt you, but I were to lock you in an elevator with him, He's allowed to talk to you. Would you do it? Think about that. Think about the difference in what happens. Right next to him in the elevator. No matter what he's done, you hear him talk, you hear him beg. You hear him cry, you hear him scream. You hear him yell. You can smell him. You can see the whites of his eyes. I bring up smelling because it's something people never think about. You don't really think about it unless you make yourself think about it. It's the one thing you can't get as far as information goes anymore. We have endless, I've got my radio show, we got podcasts, we got TV, we got everything, but you can't smell it. You can see it, you can hear it, you can't smell it. How much did that number go down? When I put you in the elevator. Probably a lot. There's something uniquely terrible about urban warfare. Tell you a brief story before we kick off our official story for the day. I was in the Marine Corps infantry. And... You train all the time as an infantry guy. We're always, and I was stationed in 29 Palms, and we're always going out to the middle of the desert doing all these live fire exercises and shoots, and you're practicing this and practicing that, and you can change mags and put rounds downrange. And in your mind, pretty pretty good, right? I, I can handle this. In our mind, a Marine Corps infantry, infantry platoon, we're the cock of the block. We're running things around here. Pretty tough, right? 
they started to get an inkling that we were going to go to war in Iraq. And our company first sergeant, he's the head enlisted guy of your company, he sets something up for us. He sets up this. We are going to change out our M16s. You can you can uh, briefly, it's dif- difficult to describe. You remove a part of your M16 and put a new part on it. And what it does is it shoots little 9mm bullets, but they're paintballs. And now this is not paintball. You have to, it'll break the skin. It's a 9mm round, only the end of it that shoots is paint. So you have to wear goggles. You have to wear a cup protector to protect the old boys. It's So we change all those out. And at night, he sets us up in this house in 29 Palms. And what we have to do is we are going to march in formation down to the house with our retrofitted M16s. We call them sim rounds, by the way. We're going to one platoon at a time. We are going to assault this house. There are people in this house to defend it, also with weapons that use sim rounds. You following me? How many people were in this house? I believe there were five. Five. We had platoons of roughly 30, a little bit more. And one by one, at night, NVGs the works, we poured into this home to assault it. Most platoons did not last longer than two minutes before everybody was dead. Everybody was dead. Nobody lasted four. The defenders barely lost a man all night long. We are not a bunch of pencil pencil pushers here. This is not a bunch of accountants. This was a highly trained infantry marine platoon. First Sergeant, by the way, did that as a lesson to us of how much we needed to learn about urban warfare, room clearing, things like that. How difficult it is to walk into a building especially if you're facing anybody who even slightly knows what they're doing to walk into a building and walk out alive. Now I want you to picture this. Stalingrad. You've heard the name. You may even know the battle I'm talking about. If you don't know the battle of Stalingrad, You do need to know this. It is unquestionably the largest battle in the history of mankind. Nothing else is even close to second except for maybe the Battle of Moscow, which took place in the same campaign. This is obviously part of Hitler's invasion of Russia. This is the end of Hitler's invasion of Russia. And when I say the largest battle of all time... Remember this, total U.S. deaths in war is about 1.4 million. That's all the wars we've ever fought combined, including Civil War, which is like 600,000 of that. That's about what the Soviets lost at Stalingrad alone. 
one battle. Germans, too. They almost a million. It's so vast in its carnage, it's hard to put into words. I, I really want you, as you're listening, if you're not driving, I really want you to Google image Stalingrad so you can picture this. Because there are so many pictures of it. And bear in mind, you're going to see quite a bit of death in there. You're going to see dead bodies. You're going to see frozen dead bodies. This is just the worst place in the history of the world. So how did we ever get to a battle where two million people died, roughly? How, how, does, that, how does that happen in one battle? Well, it happened like so many major, major things happen. You want to know how it happened? Play in a second. Jesse Kelly. You're listening to The Jesse Kelly Show. You need more security. More security in your home. And I'm talking about your internet. That's why you need more security. I know what you were thinking. I got plenty of security. I got got the, the door locks. I got the alarms. I got my pistol ready to go. Yeah, but do you have ExpressVPN yet? Because if you don't have ExpressVPN, then don't tell me you have enough security. The truth is, without ExpressVPN, every time you get online, no matter what you do, private browser, no private browser, whatever your kids do, anytime you're online in your home, your internet service provider sees all of it. All of it. Take that in for a moment. Unless you have ExpressVPN. If you have ExpressVPN, you're totally anonymous. Yeah, that's what I thought. Go to expressvpn.com slash jesse. You actually get three months free if you do that. Expressvpn.com slash jesse. How does one get to a Massive, massive carnage battle with two million dead people? Well, slowly. You see, at no point in the beginning of World War II would Stalin or Hitler, would either of them ever even imagine, ever even dream of being involved in a battle like this. But... Things take time. You know about Hitler invading the Soviet Union. I told you about it before. We talked about it. I don't have to belabor the point. But you do need to understand how much the Soviets hated Stalin. Huge portions of the Soviets despised Stalin, despised the Bolsheviks for obvious reasons. And remember, Stalin was murdering and and starving people to death pretty much immediately after he took power. It's not as if Stalin woke up one day and became a monster. Remember, Stalin 
maybe the worst person to ever live. Stalin was a murderer long before he ever had power. He got off on it. And I don't mean ordering other people. Stalin would personally kill you without hesitation. So the Nazis had this prime, prime opportunity when invading the Soviet Union. You realize the Nazis could have won that fairly easily? The people initially, when Germany invaded Russia, the women would bring out platters, wooden platters of bread and butter and cheese to the troops. People would throw flowers at the Nazis, thanking them for, quote, liberating them from Stalin. And do you know what Hitler did next? Hitler began to attach SS units, murder units, to his army units. Remember, everybody in the German army was not a Nazi. There were many just German soldiers. Everybody in the, in the German command was not a Nazi, at least, uh, at least initially. Many of these were just long-experienced German generals, many of them experienced from World War I. However, there were special Nazi units set up. You see, if you take a group of German soldiers who grow up wanting to be German soldiers or in the, and they're in the German military, there's a good chance they're going to balk at being told to line up women and children and shoot them in the back of the head because they're Jews. So what do you do? Well, you don't have to make them. Have them take the village, then have them be relieved by the special SS unit you have attached and let the soldiers run along. Hey, we'll catch up in a few. Bang, 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 bang. You see, as the people came out and began greeting the Germans as liberators, Hitler, so poisoned by racial hatred, couldn't see, couldn't tell what was right in front of him. And what was right in front of him was the destruction, the end of the Soviet Union in a, in a victory. He couldn't see it. So instead, he begins hunting all these people down, murdering all these people. And then the people just decide, well, screw it. I'll just fight for Stalin then. That was mistake number one. Well, mistake number 50. Hitler begins to micromanage the invasion of the Soviet Union. Hitler had all these mega, mega, mega experienced generals. And understand this, the Nazis, the Germans, I should say, had some incredible generals in World War I and World War II. The problem is, again, blinded by hatred, poisoned by racial division, Hitler would sack his best generals and put some Nazi in place who was not even close to capable. I know you're not going to be surprised by this, but so many of the Nazis, there were some brilliant ones, but so many of the Nazis were idiots. They didn't know what they were doing. They got their position of power because they were Nazis and no other reason. They sucked. They weren't capable. They didn't rise because of how capable they were. And they charge on. And they charge on, and they have the Battle of Moscow, which I've talked to you about before, which they lost. 
They pull back, they regroup, and they focus on a place on the Volga River known as Stalingrad. It's Volgograd today, but known as Stalingrad. And if you want to picture where it is, if you don't have a map in front of you, go from west to east, invading the Soviet Union. You only go about a fourth of the way across the country and then head due south. Down there's where Stalingrad is. And Stalingrad was, as I said, situated on the Volga River. And when I say situated on the Volga River, I mean it's on the Volga River. It backs right up to it. And it's there for a very specific reason. Hitler knew this. Obviously, Stalin knew this. That city became a major city because it was the pipeline from the oil fields to the rest of the Soviet Union. It was essentially the power lines, which is why Hitler wanted it, which is why Stalin knew it had to be defended. If you could cut the supply lines of any enemy, what if we always told you about supply lines? That old saying someone else came up with, amateurs study tactics, professionals study logistics. A country like the Soviet Union will simply implode if it can't eat, if it doesn't have gasoline to run all those amazing T-34 Soviet tanks, which were the best tanks in the war. Hitler takes off for Stalingrad. Hitler gets to Stalingrad. Now, you need to know about Order 227. Order 227 was this. Stalin began to micromanage a lot himself. The Soviet Union paid dearly for Stalin's purges of military leadership and everyone else because, again, if Stalin suspected you of anything, he'd have you shot in the back of the head. You didn't have to be guilty of it. And there ended up being a lot of very, very, very capable generals who were not only sacked from their post but flat-out murdered. It's kind of funny. One of the generals in Stalingrad fighting for Stalin is somebody he'd previously arrested and tortured. They knocked all his teeth out. He had a mouthful of metal teeth like Jaws from the James Bond movies. Not making that up. So Stalin was a micromanager and Stalin's army initially in the Soviet Union was taking a beating. Now, they were taking a beating because the weather was better and the Nazi blitzkrieg really needs good weather so the tanks can slice and dash and get to where they're going in a hurry. The point of a blitzkrieg is speed. Everything is about speed. Get somewhere quickly, have your enemy off his heels. Before you know it, he's surrounded, he's annihilated. Well, that works fine when you're out on the plains of Nebraska When it starts to get muddy, when it starts to freeze, when it starts to get cold, that's a lot more difficult. So the Soviets had beaten off the Germans up in Moscow. Now the Germans had their eyes set on Stalingrad. And Order 227, back to that, was this. Stalin did not like the tactical retreat, even though it was unquestionably the smartest move so much of the time for the Soviets. Remember what we talked about, was it yesterday we were talking about George Washington and the tactical retreat and how that was one of his specialties? 
No, let's not get everyone killed. Let's live the fight another day. A nice, orderly retreat. We'll be back tomorrow. Well, that's good generalship. That's intelligence. Hang on. Order 227 from Stalin was, uh, it was something. He didn't like the fact that his generals were constantly backing away, constantly giving up ground, even though when you're a country the size of Russia, that's clearly the smartest thing to do. Just keep backing up and let them get sucked in and let the winner kill them. So Order 227 was essentially this. We don't back up another inch. We are going to take our penal units. They had penal units for anybody who ever ran away. Anybody who ever retreated, you would be punished, placed in a penal unit. They would then take the penal units and put them in the most dangerous parts of the line at all times so they can, quote unquote, redeem themselves from their for their cowardice. It also involved creating entire squads that were murder squads. They would stand behind all the units on the front, and their one job was to shoot anybody who turned around to retreat in their own army. I don't mean once. By the time Stalingrad was over, these squads had murdered 13,000 of their own countrymen. One battle, 13,000. They were so fanatical about it. If you were in a foxhole with somebody and he got up to run away and you didn't shoot him, you would be shot. Yeah. Stalin, obviously this is an ugly order. Obviously it's terrible. You don't want this. But if you have to give the murderous psychopath any credit, in the very least, at least Stalin understood, we really cannot lose Stalingrad. Period. At one point in time, Nikita Khrushchev, if that name sounds familiar, the man who took over after Stalin, Nikita Khrushchev was a veteran of Stalingrad. And at one point, he brings in the Stalingrad commander and says, what do you think your orders are here? And a guy says, keep the city or die trying. And he said, yep, you pretty much figured it out. Have a good one. That's the order. Now, the German army closes in on Stalingrad, and what did they do? Well, they did what they'd always done, and they really shouldn't have done. They sent in that great German Luftwaffe, the great German Air Force, and they bombed Stalingrad to smithereens. What they were trying to do was intimidate the Soviets into backing away and giving it up. 
They did not seem to grasp the concept that there was nothing you could do to make the Soviets give it up. Well, if that's the case, if you know the Soviets aren't going to give it up, what you've just done is create for yourself as an invading force an absolute living hell. Let's go back to the beginning of the show again. Do you remember that one building we tried to take as an infantry platoon? Five guys inside getting mopped up? Now I want you to picture a bombed out entire city with cellars, buildings, roads blocked off so your tanks can't get down. Some intentional, some otherwise. The water's now bad. You're destroying your own supplies. And oh, did I mention these Russians were intelligent by this point. This is late enough in the war that all the all the idiot generals Stalin had were beginning to be replaced by young hotshots who knew what they were doing, ruthlessly efficient, including probably the greatest general of all World War II, as much as that pains me to say it, you know how much I love our patents and whatnot. But Zhukov, General Zhukov, probably the best general of the entire war. If you don't know about him, look him up. He's an incredible man. Not the kindest human being in the world, mind you, but a, gener- a great man. General. But the German army is no joke either, and they begin to push into Stalingrad. And it is hell. It is a living hell. The stories, the individual stories out of there, a nightmare. And the, the Soviets, to their credit, again, they were smart by this point in time, decided to intentionally make it terrifying for the Germans. Not just, not just bullets-wise, they wanted the Germans to be mortified at all times. So they, they enacted a policy of this. They called it hugging the enemy. The commander in Stalingrad ordered that at no time would his units be more than a certain distance away from the Germans. Most of the time it was 50 yards, 100 yards. So the Germans, one, couldn't use the Luftwaffe to bomb the Russians because they'd bomb their own troops, and two, you're in a constant state of anxiety because they're right there. The Russians would do things like attack at night with these wee little mini spy planes. The Germans called them a sewing machine because of how their little engines sounded. And what they would do is they'd attach a small, not even a big, a tiny little bomb to this tiny little spy plane and fly it over the German trenches at night and drop them in. You're constantly horrified to hear it coming. The Russians used the bombed out streets to their advantage. They would create murder tunnels where they would take a building, they'd load it up with their infantry with anti-tank weapons. The Germans would try to go down that way. They would divert because it was too much heat coming from that building that way, only they'd, they'd divert into a street the Russians wanted them down that they'd mined the night before, blowing off legs, burning people, bombs, emerging from cellars, going back down below. Are you starting to get some kind of an idea what it's like? And this didn't last an hour. 
ladies and gentlemen. This lasted months. Months. There are stories because the Germans were advancing still. Even with all this, to their credit, they were advancing still. But there are stories where they would work hard, would lose so many men to take a building, and finally they'd take it and they'd kill all the Soviets inside. And then as soon as they'd leave, the Soviets would reoccupy it and they'd have to go take it again. And that is demoralizing. Vietnam veterans, if you ever get a chance to talk to them, actually talk about that exact thing, how demoralizing that is. They'd, they'd pick a hill, seemingly at random. Take this hill. And they'd charge up the hill, and it's the hardest thing in the world to fight uphill, and they'd have this vicious battle, and you'd see all your friends die, and you'd go through this meat grinder, and you'd take the hill. And then virtually the next day, they'd say, all right, we're leaving, and you'd turn around, and they'd reoccupy the hill you just bled for. It's a devastating psychological feeling. It does matter a lot. But the Germans are advancing. Okay? They are advancing until they have essentially pushed all the Soviets to a strip by the Volga. Remember the layout of the city. The city backs up to the Volga. The Volga is the barrier. They have pushed the Soviet army back to there. But remember Zhukov, that great general, he has a plan too. One, the Germans are starting to get a little chilly again. Winter's almost here. Two, the Germans have flanks, and there aren't German troops on those flanks. Hang on. Truth, Attitude, Jesse Kelly. We need to sleep. You need to sleep. I need to sleep. You know it. You know how you feel when you don't. Same way I feel. You feel like a zombie. That's that's the best way I can describe it. As, as much as I understand how zombies probably feel from the movies, that's how I feel. And I dang sure know that's how I look. I look at myself in the mirror and I think, oh gosh. And especially, I'm sorry to admit this, as I get older, if I don't sleep... I'm starting to get some bags under the eyes, don't you? I need sleep. My mind needs it. My body needs it. My, I, I can't speak effectively without sleep. I'm in a bad mood. I'm snapping at my kids. It's awful. Stop taking sleeping pills. Stop wishing for a good night's sleep. Start using an ebb sleep. You get to try it risk-free for 60 days. It's a wearable device. Try ebb.com slash jesse. That's tryebb.com slash jesse. Use the promo code jesse for 25 bucks off. The Talk Radio Revolution. Jesse Kelly. You see Zukov was a savvy, savvy general. And the Germans, right, rightly or wrongly, they stacked their armies in the center, which is historically, it's not like it's stupid. That's 
That's what many armies throughout history have done. You put your studs in the center. The flanks are not as important. You really worry about the center because if you lose the center, you're lost. But if you're the German army, your problem in this war is the same, ironically, as your problem in World War I. And that's that all your allies suck or they're too far away to actually help. The only significant ally Germany had in World War II was Japan. Now, Japan was a formidable fighting force, but Japan had its hands full dealing with us. Japan didn't have the resources to send a bunch of people to Germany. So what are you stuck with if you're Germany? You're stuck with the freaking Italians. And by the way, that France talk we had yesterday about this false reputation France has about being a crappy army because of World War II when their military history is amazing and we all think they're a bunch of losers, but instead they're a bunch of studs. They took World War I on the chin for the whole world. Uh, yeah, that reputation France has is the one Italy has. That Italy earned the reputation we have for France. You want to talk about pathetic they were pathetic in World War I. They were possibly twice as pathetic in World War II. It got so bad, and Hitler knew he had to guard his underbelly of Italy from invasion. He just stocked the whole thing full of German troops. It was, you know what? Just take the freaking Italians and go back to your house. I'll do it all. But these are his allies. The Italians and the Romanians sucked. He's, he's, he's stuck with all these allies who suck. Which, you know, by the grace of God, that worked out well for us. We didn't need him having strong ones. And that's who he sent to the flanks. That's who he sent to essentially guard his sides and his rear while his unit, the 6th Army, while the German Army, thrust into Stalingrad like a spear. Zukov knew this. Zukov essentially sneakily sent two different armies to both flanks and smashed through the Germans. Once they did that, they surrounded the 6th Army. The 6th Army now, yes, they're deep in Stalingrad, but they're surrounded. They're in a pocket the German Wehrmacht famously told Hitler, don't worry about it. We're still in control of two airstrips. We'll just resupply our entire army by air. They never even came close to getting enough supplies in. German soldiers begin to die in droves of starvation. Oh, and did I mention cold? You see, when you got here, the weather may have been nice, but it's January and February now, Jack, in Stalingrad. And the Soviet troops, by now, they're wearing fur-lined coats, fur-lined gloves, thick winter boots. I saw a fascinating show on this one time where they took the exact uniform, the exact uniform that uh, the German troops and the Russian troops were wearing. And what they did was they brought out a big freezer truck. You know those freezer trucks that keep all the frozen foods in the back? And they put 
body heat monitors in the truck. Essentially, they would sit the guy down in the freezer truck, and then you could see a thermal view of him. And you would be able to tell where the heat could escape. And it was it really was a fascinating thing. They sit the Russian dude in there, and it's essentially his nose. You know, he's totally fine. Everything else got everything in. They put the German in there, and he's just a big blotch of red. Freezing. Imagine what that's like when you're a German soldier. You know you have massacred your way through this entire nation. So now these people hate you. The Germans were well aware there's a great chance you're just flat out going to get machine gunned if you surrender because now this is a war of hatred. The Germans had treated the Russians horribly during this invasion. It was a vicious, murderous invasion. The Russians by now had this burning hate. They were they were returning the favor. And so now you're in Stalingrad. You're in a burned out building. You're starving. You're shivering from the cold. And they're all around you. What does that feel Can you even imagine what that must feel like? The absolute terror you would feel? That has to be a new level, doesn't it? Very, very few melancholy German letters went out because they monitored everything, but the ones that did, oh, my word. These guys knew. Oh, but wait. It gets worse. Protect my car can save you a fortune. And here's the thing about it. I hope you never have to use it. It's just, it's one of those things. It's like your home insurance. I hope you never have to use it. But the truth of the matter is this. We all know they only make two kinds of cars. They make ones that have had problems and ones that are going to have problems. They haven't made a third kind of car. I promise yours is the same. You know, I, I you've heard me rant about that recent bill I got from a pickup truck. There is a solution. If you own a car, truck, or SUV made from 1999 or higher, you might be able to stop paying for car repairs. I'm talking engine, transmission, rental car, towing, roadside assistance, the works, but you have to find out if you qualify for it. Dial star star 1244. Again, that's star star 1244. Protect my car. The Germans keep sending messages back to Hitler, requesting permission to surrender. Hitler knows the war is pretty much lost, refuses to allow them to surrender. The army now is split up in Stalingrad. They managed to drive a wedge between them. Now it's two different armies, 
And now it's over as the circle gets tighter and tighter and tighter and tighter. Eventually, they defy Hitler's orders and they surrender. 91,000 troops walk in. Do you want to know how many of those 91,000 Germans who surrendered ever saw Germany again? Do you want to know? Tell you in a sec. Jesse Kelly Show. This is the Jesse Kelly Show. Ninety one thousand Germans surrendered. Six thousand never saw Germany again. Do you know when they saw Germany again? Nineteen fifty-five. Did you know that? Did you know that the Soviets had so much hatred for what the Germans had done, they kept their prisoners of war for a decade after World War II ended? Starving them to death, freezing them to death, gulags in Siberia, shooting them, torturing them. Yeah. The German invasion of the Soviet Union is on its own the largest conflict in the history of the world. When you consider loss of life, destruction, all those things. In the history of the world. How did that happen? Slowly. Over time. A little of this. A little of that. A little of this. A little of that. Decades in the making. Decades. You can trace it back to Napoleon if you want. Decades in the making. I am going to get to your Ask Dr. Jesse questions here in just a second. But I just want to say this. Because we're going to try to keep the rest of the day fairly fun. Try to address some things here. But I continue to get this question. Shoot, I got it from my wife last night. I get this question from my friends all the time. I get this question How did this happen? How did this happen? How did this happen? How did we somehow lose control of everything? We got an email from our pastor 
yesterday to the entire church who's attending and wants us to get involved with a, quote, what white people need to know panel. Think what you've seen in this nation in the past few months. Mayors, governors, you must close your business. You will lose your job. You're allowed to stay open. I allow you to stay open. You're not allowed. Oh, you're going to try to open? Woo, woo, woo. Send in the cops. Sorry. Off to jail you go, scumbag. We have somehow gone right from that to burning down American cities. Do you know more black people have died during the last week of riots than were killed by police in all of 2019? Did you know that? Do you know what this looks like for the black community at the end of this? The obvious thing nobody wants to point out? You see, the president of the the Minneapolis City Council yesterday actually proposed, the president of the city council actually proposed the complete elimination of the Minneapolis to police department. I'm not making that up. Do you know, no matter what, even when that crazy proposal dies, no matter what, when this thing is gone, these riots, these protests, all, you know, to, to protect the black community, that when it's all over, The black community is going to have fewer job opportunities because they burn down. These looters burn down so many businesses. And the ones who didn't get burnt down, many are going to move out because who wants to live and work in an area where your business can get torched for just existing? So the job opportunities are going to vaporize. The community itself is going to be even less safe because they're also defunding the police departments. The L.A. mayor just announced a $100 to $150 million cut to the LAPD. They are going to turn these communities they're supposedly trying to protect into absolute wastelands of crime and poverty. And the entire nation is going along with it. The entire nation, major corporations running ad campaigns about equality, my own pastor, professional athletes, Drew Brees apologized for standing up for the flag twice. He put up another IG post about it, I guess, in tears. How did that happen? Uh, Look, New York Governor Cuomo says the state will open coronavirus testing to all George Floyd protesters. Do you want to know how telling that is? The, The state with the most draconian lockdowns is giving a free pass to the protesters. That tells you all you need to know. You see, they did this step by step. Year after year after year, the left fought their battle on a quiet, multi-front war. And now, they're everywhere. And that is what you're seeing now, is that the leftists have taken over 
everything. And, as you can see, the coronavirus lockdowns, up but not for the protesters, they work together. They work hand in hand. You get to do that once you've taken it all. I'm going to tell you something, and I want you to think about it, because this is not going to be surprising. You're going to know it, but I want you to think about this. Do you know how insane it is that in a nation, 90-plus percent of their federal employees, 90-plus percent of the media, 90-plus percent of their educators, 90-plus percent of their entertainers all have the same political philosophy? Do you know how insane that is? I have to be honest with you. I'd enjoy it, but that would creep me out if they were all 90% conservative. I would look around and be a little bit weirded out. Wait, what? That's everyone. And the most amazing thing about it, and it's very telling for how the left does their business, the most amazing thing about it, they're not happy with 90%. They look at that because leftism is a religion of domination. They look at that 90%, and you know what they see? They see the 10% they don't have, and it ticks them off. They can't believe it. That is how you win. If it sounds like I'm admiring them, let me be clear, I am. I detest them. I hate what they've done to my nation. I hate how torn to bits we are, surrounded on all sides. I despise it. But that doesn't make it any less impressive. They could never have done the things they're doing today, even 10 years ago, 20 years ago. Why are they able to do them now? Because now they've cinched in their control. With the snap of their fingers, they can see a cop killing a black dude, tell the entire nation it's racist, mobilize the entire country in race riots. And there's still no evidence it was race-based. I know. I know. On the Jordan Harbinger Show, you'll hear amazing stories from people that have lived them, from spies to CEOs, even an undercover agent who infiltrated the Gambino crime family. You're about to hear a preview of The Jordan Harbinger Show with Jack Garcia, who did just that. My career was 24 out of 26 years, was solely dedicated working undercover. I walk in, I'm in the bar. Now there's a barmaid there, good-looking young lady. She's serving me drink. Hey, what would you like? I usually, my drink was, give me a kettle, one martini, three olives, glass of water on the side. I finish the drink. The guys come in. I'm going to go, go in my pocket, take out the big wad of money. Bam, I give her $100. If you're with the mob, I say, hey, Jordan, you're on record with us. That means we protect you. Nobody could shake you down. We could shake you down, but you're on record with us. For more on how Jack became so trusted in the highest levels of the Gambino organization, check out episode 392 of The Jordan Harbinger Show. It's the Kia Summer Sticker Sales Event, so give your friends something to look at, like a B&B with an ocean view. 
an endless field of wildflowers, or a sunset that needs no filter. Make this a summer to share and save with a capable Kia SUV or powerful sedan. See your local Kia dealer or visit Kia.com to learn more. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-334-KIA for details. Always drive safely. Sale applies to purchase of specially tagged 2024 vehicles only. Quantities are limited. Must take delivery by 7824. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball. From growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. From LinkedIn News, I'm Jesse Hempel, host of the Hello Monday podcast. In my 20s, I knew what career success looked like. In midlife, it's not that simple. Work is changing, we are changing, and there's no guidebook for how to make sense of it. Start your week with the Hello Monday podcast. Listen to Hello Monday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. From LinkedIn News, I'm Leah Smart, host of Everyday Better, an award-winning weekly podcast dedicated to personal development. Whether you're looking for ways to shift your mindset or seeking more fulfillment in your life, we've got you covered. Join me as we dive into captivating stories and research-backed ideas that have empowered me and others to lead lives with more clarity and intention. Everyday Better, making growth an everyday practice. Listen to Everyday Better on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.